Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic, and for the purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. Yes. Uh, every spelling is correct. Um, we got a letter recently, you're probably going to read it later on this show, where somebody spelled it out in phonetic Hebrew. Ooh, that's so, cool. Uh, I've had that one before. Fun. That's exciting. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we what happens is you write into us. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. Uh, and uh, we get a lot of letters. We don't have time to read them all, but we read as many as we can. We try to have a proper conversation about whatever they bring up. Sometimes it's about movies, TV, our favorite popsicles was one not that long ago. It could really be just about anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we try to get to as many as we can within a reasonable amount of time every single week. Uh, and we try not to dilly-dally right up at the front. So, uh, Whitney, let's just jump right in. Sure. Here's a letter from Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Oh, by the way, I, and whatever you sign off as, that's what I'm going to read your name as. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't sign off as anything, regardless that, of what your email is, we to say you don't anonymous. want a name read at all. So, yeah. yeah it's from name or death. It's in the body of the email. Mm-hmm. It's fair game. If yeah, not, we um, don't know it. Uh, hi, guys. I agree overall with your take on The Gentleman. Remember okay. The Gentleman? Uh, uh, vaguely. There you go, the Guy Ritchie film. January uh, feels like 20 years ago right now. <laughs> well, we can all rest uh, deeply comforted that there won't be a worse film than Doolittle. Uh, I'm anyway. not sure that's true. Actually, actually, I've seen some really rotten ones I think, I think I think we actually have seen worse than Doolittle. Well, mm-hmm. let's move on. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, I agree overall with your take on The Gentleman in regards on how the Asian jokes are racist in some ways, as well as uh, the insensitive homophobia. It's it's a, a – The Gentleman, if you recall, is a bloke film full of a lot of really just broadly racist and sexist characters. And Guy Ritchie, who has been making variations on the same film for most of his career, which is basically just – a bunch of stylish British dudes uh, just sort of running around, killing each other, getting into capers. A bunch, a bunch of, like, cool bad guys, essentially. Mostly they're mostly all cool criminals. bad guys yeah. or anti-heroes. And, um, yeah, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, and oftentimes there's an undercurrent of, depending on the film, sexism, homophobia, mm-hmm. racism. He's... One could argue that that's just what the characters are like. One could also argue that Guy Ritchie yeah. sure seems to be making a point of telling stories about those characters every single over time. And over again, yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was surprised you guys didn't touch on one of the most disturbing issues with the film, the pig scene. Mm. Uh, with the Ed, it was Eddie Marsan, right? Yeah, he was filmed with a pig. Yeah, uh, well, I, so, that was like right at the end of the movie, yeah. so we didn't really want to talk about the uh, ending too much. So I, I, I guess it's been long enough. We can talk yeah, about no, the end, end of the gentleman. Uh, so, like the racial jokes, the movie plays the scene at the end for laughs. Now, I tend to think you can make jokes about most things, provided you have the right context and are sensitive to those around you. Sure. Uh, that being said, I couldn't help but feel how fucked up it is for our quote good guys to drug a man and force him to fuck a pig, and we, the audience, are supposed to think it's all in good fun and what wacky funny guys our protagonists are. Like the racial jokes, it would be one thing if we were supposed to see our protagonists as unlikable, awful people uh, for their behavior, but the, con- the film constantly frames them as, a- frames them as quote, just having a laugh, and aren't they just kooky, likable criminals? So instead of a middle-aged, pudgy man whom the film has mocked throughout, imagine that the character, uh, the editor of the paper character, the Eddie Marsan character, mm-hmm. was a woman. Yeah. Would we all think it was hilarious when she wakes up in a van scared and Colin Farrell tells her how they drugged her and forced her to have sex with an animal? Would that joke land? 
My guess is that it would not. We would think our protagonists are terrible people and we wouldn't be able to continue laughing alongside them. My point in writing this is just to point out that this scene is no better than the drop the soap jokes made in other movies. Joking mm. about having about sexually assaulting men is not okay. We need to stop looking at men's sexual abuse as funnier than women's. What are your thoughts on this, Bibbs and Whitney? Thanks as always for taking the time to read these and being so passionate about movies, Sarah. Uh, I, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Um, I think that there are a lot of things that we just sort of casually and without thinking put in our movies that. And 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 again, Sarah makes a good point. I think it's possible to put almost anything in a movie mm. uh, w- within reason, obviously, and have it potentially be funny in yeah, certain contexts. But, but it requires a deft touch. And the thing that you have to remember is that what people and audiences find acceptable evolves over time, mm. and it's always a good idea to be as far ahead of that curve as you can. Because your movies won't age well, mm. and oftentimes well, if, people will look back at something really gross, whether it's Animal House or, yeah. or well, Porky's, if, and they'll look back at it and go, this was really disgusting, and why do we ever think that was well, funny? If you're a, a sensitive filmmaker or even care, some filmmakers aren't even looking at the general mm-hmm. uh, you know, climate of filmmaking trends or you yeah. know, what is acceptable to make. They're only focused on what interests them. Uh, because they're, art, they're artists, and they're going to focus mm-hmm. on their own passions. And Guy Ritchie has a thing for the British underground, which mm-hmm. is populated by sexist, racist men. Yeah. Uh, and as such, he tends to make movies about sexist, racist people. And because he's gone back to that well so many times, now we're asking, are you a sexist, racist person? Mm-hmm. It's pretty blasé yeah. about the way it treats it. And, 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 and I again, think there's, there, like you said, there's ways to make those things funny. I'm not going to say that you can't. And I think Guy Ritchie has yeah. even done it a few times. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, not, he's not a filmmaker without skill, but after a while, when he keeps revisiting the same well, you have to ask yourself, how well is he doing it? And, yeah, in this case, it's, it's a matter of taste. I firmly agree with you that that is in such poor taste that having characters who are supposed to be sympathetic do it is really jarring and unpleasant and the reason I, I didn't bring it up I can't speak for Whitney but the reason I didn't bring it up in, in when we talked about the movie was although we typically review movies a few days after they're released we do try to be at least generally aware that unless the movie is so predictable you know the ending just by watching the the trailer you know like, hmm. a, like a conventional slasher romantic comedy for example which are very formulaic we don't like to give away the ending, even if sometimes the ending is the thing that sucks. Mm, yeah. We might allude to it, but we usually try to let you discover for yourself out of a certain amount of respect. But I think we gave away the ending to Serenity just because oh, it was... we had a, to. It, it was a selling point. For well, it also happens yeah. halfway through the movie. Right. Like, you can't talk about the movie. I, I remember when Serenity came out, I actually emailed my... I was reviewing it for The Wrap, and I emailed mm. my editor, and, and I was like, hey, listen, what I know we have general guidelines about spoilers, but... The whole movie is the back half. Like, if we just talk about what the first (laughs) half of the movie is, it's going to be misleading. And so we're going to have to talk about it. And so we found a way to do it. But, um, but, and, and here though is, yeah. And it comes down to when things are supposed to be light and funny, if they are connecting with people in a way that reminds us of things that are horrifying and traumatic, Mm. or just simply are those things. I think it's fair to say that it's not funny. This is all a matter of taste. That's what a lot of film criticism is. It's certainly a lot of what people consider funny is. Yeah. You know, is this fodder for humor? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Some people say sometimes. But uh, in in this particular case, it's one of quite a few things in The Gentleman that 
again, the movie is mm. slick. There's a lot of things I really like about it, but there are some times when it is simply unpleasant, mm. and it's not really fun to watch it. Yeah. And I think that ending is definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, staying within the realms of good taste, um, it, it's not a priority for me. I don't mind if a film is just brazenly tasteless, or, mm. if, or if a filmmaker goes but, too far, but I'll say that in my review if they it, do. It's possible to go so uh, far that it's just not funny anymore, though, I, right? I suppose so. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that... Uh, it's it's fine to make a film that confronts, but I don't think the gentleman is, you know, so skilled or artistic or has some something so important on its mind that it's worthy bearing that kind of confrontation. And it's that kind of context uh, that I think can yeah, affect whether something is funny exactly. or not. Is are you portraying it in such a way with all of these ancillary elements or you're that making it's some sort of comment by yeah. saying you're not just doing things. this in an unexamined way? That's mm. there for a reason. Yeah. And here they could have just um, done anything embarrassing to that guy, and it would have been the same. Yeah. Uh, he, he, and that character wasn't so horrendous a villain that he deserved that treatment. No, I mean, he, um, he wasn't nice, but he no, wasn't was, that evil. Yeah, like, he, you know. he was sniveling and weak uh, yeah. in the eyes of the other characters, so they felt they, they felt justified. Yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. To address the other part of your letter, Sarah, uh, why is it that uh, men's sexuality is treated differently than women's sexuality in movies? Um and this is something uh, I remember Kirby Dick bringing up in his documentary film, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, mm. uh, which is about the MPAA's rating system and how it, arbitrary and strange it is. And full of double standards. Yeah, and uh, the idea that you know one film can do something and get a PG rating, another film can do some, the exact same thing, get an R rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way, you know, even though they talk about how, well, tone is part of it. Yeah, if something's violent but really brutal, that's going to get an R rating. But if that same violence is presented in sort of a slapstick way, Way, then that's going to get a PG rating. Yeah, the Three right, Stooges yeah, exactly. versus John Wick. Exactly, exactly. There's a different kind of violence. That's true. Uh, so that that's fair, but then you look at, uh, they interviewed John Waters, whose la- last film, he made it all the way back in 2004. God, it's been uh, that long since he had a new John Waters. Had a John Waters. So he's, he was trying to get Fruitcake off the ground for the longest time. This is Christmas musical. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we uh, could have a John Waters Christmas. Could someone just give him $20 million? He wrote Just a, let him do it. He'll do whatever he wants. He, and, and Give he him wrote, one, one blank yeah, check. Just he, one blank check. He wrote a book a called. Uh, he wrote a book called Car Sick, where he wanted to hitchhike across America. And a big portion of the book is what would be the best way this would go for me. <laughs> and like, what, what's the like the great rides? And one of them is he just was picked up by this stoner guy in a van and taken out to his pot farm, which is off the grid. Is like, oh yeah, we've just been making money for years. We just bury it around here. Here's two million dollars cash. Don't worry about it. Make your movie. <laughs> And so he's like, oh, okay, thanks, Stoner. Like, that's that's a good ride, right? <laughs> My dad hitchhiked across uh, America a half dozen times in the 1960s. He had a lot of good stories. Oh, I'm sure. One time he got picked up by a guy totally randomly in, like, some random state of the union mm-hmm. uh, who he went to high school with. Uh, and on top of it, the dude was driving back to his hometown to attend a reunion. Wow. Yeah, so he was just like, well, I guess I'll come with. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it, it's not safe to do that anymore. No, I don't, I don't encourage people to was do it, that. It anymore, wasn't safe then, that's but true. people did it. <laughs> people, it was commoner. But uh, John Waters was saying that even though the tone uh, was of his last film, A Dirty Shame, was actually very light and con- it's a very responsible film, mm. they still said it's rated NC 17 because it. I mean, it's sexual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you've seen that movie, you understand why. But. Um, there was this big to-do over uh, the film American Pie versus But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm. Uh, one features a, a teenage boy masturbating. 
by having sex with a pie. Yeah. It's a famous scene. It's quite famous. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's, you know, that was played for laughs. It's a silly thing. And we see him with his pants down, and there's a lot of, like, rather explicit imagery of this, this teenage boy masturbating his butt, pie. yeah. You see his butt. But, you know, it's uh, it's clear what he's doing. It's, yeah, it's very clear. Yeah. It's very comical, yeah. And uh, then there's a scene, uh, a very brief scene, in But I'm a Cheerleader, where Natasha Leone is masturbating over her clothes in, yeah. like, one shot. And they said they had to cut that shot or else they'd get an NC-17 rating. It's like, well, what's the difference? Well, it's it's the two two uh, edges of sexism, isn't it? Mm. The woman, uh, when she's presented in a sexual fashion, is over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. Whereas the man, if they're presented in a sexual fashion, is a buffoon. It's absurd yeah. that, that the, 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 it's absurd if a man does it. Yeah. Also, they talk about in that film that the uh, double standard of... Uh, portrayal of uh, heterosexual content and any sort of yeah, queer yeah. content where the exact same thing, the exact same imagery hmm. can get a PG-13 or an R rating if it's a man and a woman, but if it's two men, two women, or hmm. any variety thereof, hmm. it instantly goes up a rating just yeah. because they consider that more prurient, which is nonsense hmm. and offensive. Uh, there, there was, it, you should watch this film. It's not your It's a really good point. documentary. It's a really good documentary. Yeah. Like, they have a standard for like how many thrusts are allowed in yeah. certain ratings when it comes to sex, sexual scenes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's all completely ridiculous. Yeah. So I think that's that's what's going on in something like The Gentleman, where mm. we can uh, make light of uh, a man's sexual abuse, essentially, yeah. uh, in a way that we wouldn't be able to do with a woman because... It's just sexism both ways. A, man, a man's sexuality is seen as something... Uh, if, like, virility is undercut in some way. Yeah. Like, typical men are, traditional men, masculine virility is undercut it, in some way. It's seen as kind of absurd the, and silly. It, it's, this, it's, this, it's a version of toxic masculinity where we're yeah, talking yeah. about how if a man's sexuality is taken away from him or abused in some way... Um, it's seen as such, it, it's like, oh, well, that's not what happens. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. As opposed to what it often is, which is a horrifying violation. And that's something that we need to fucking stop doing yeah. because that's one of the, it's one of the reasons why you hear about there's men who undergo like actual, uh, you know, horrible situations. It goes underreported a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's stuff like this. That is one of those reasons where we it is presented as something that people won't take seriously, that people will laugh at. Mm. And if we need to start taking it more seriously, and if that means we can make fewer off-color jokes yeah, no. about stuff that, like, like what happens at the end of The Gentleman, okay, art evolves, comedy evolves, no. these things evolve, and often often for the better. So The, the Gentleman yeah. is rated R, to yes, bring it up, and, uh, and deservedly so. Very, very deservedly so. Presumably... An audience going to see something like The Gentleman would be mature enough and sophisticated enough to understand that what's going on, Mm -hmm. that uh, this sort of toxic thing is happening, they're making light of it, Mm -hmm. and he's not selling it at face value. Mm -hmm. The problem is, 
we're just to, to speak kind of generally, America is kind of an infantilized nation. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're not a very mature people. <laughs> we, we we tend to celebrate and, the immature. And yeah, when I watched yeah. the gentleman, I watched the gentleman at like an opening night screening. Like mm. I didn't go to critic screen this one. I went and I saw it with just a general audience, a random assortment of people. Who knows mm. who everyone was. Uh, and a lot of the things that I found, and this is, that doesn't make me like a better person or anything crazy like that, but a lot of the things I found racist, homophobic, mm. gross, and in a simply unpleasant way, got the biggest laughs. There, there are, there is an audience for this, and I don't think that's necessarily a positive thing. Again, no. my my place to judge is only so well, significant, and, but and in guys, my own sense uh, of taste, I found that to be very disconcerting yeah, because a lot of the stuff is merely unpleasant. And Guy Ritchie may not be aiming for that audience; he may be aiming for a, a much more sophisticated audience. He has before, to, you know, it, like look at something like Revolver, which is a yeah. big misfire, but it's at least ambitious. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's it's basically uh, if you ever wanted to see Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or Snatch, but have it all revolved around uh, enlightenment and the Kabbalah. <laughs> that, that sounds like a neat idea. It's, yeah. It is a neat idea. There's neat stuff in that. I, I, don't I haven't seen that one. That movie so yeah. is not a complete wash. I will tell you that right now. It is not like I, I haven't seen both versions of it. I heard one version is worse, but the version I saw. Mm. At least ambitious, I'll give it that. <laughs> it's more ambitious than almost everything else he's ever done. So yeah. Anyway, well, um, well thanks for bringing it up though, because yeah. you know, we, we we shouldn't let some of these films go unexamined, and I yes. think there's a lot going on in something like yeah. The Gentleman. And, and whether you want to, discussion. I think whether you want to, whether you say to yourself, "I saw The Gentleman and I thought." this wasn't so bad it took me out of the film for x y and z reasons or whether mm. you're like whitney and i and, and sarah who found it to be off-putting and gross mm. um i think that's the word it shouldn't go unexamined yeah, it, yeah. we should be able to have a conversation about this and be able to speak frankly about whether or not mm. this is a good thing or not yeah. so yeah i'm glad we had that conversation and thank you for writing yeah, it yeah um we got a letter just now Oh, and that's the, the rule. The rule is if we get a letter while we're recording the episode, we have to read it immediately. Even so, if it's uh, spam. Is it spam? It's not spam. Ugh, so, yeah. One day! <laughs> <laughs> it is the greatest joy for your business. Um, <laughs> this is a letter from Nikolai. Hello, Nikolai. Hi, Nikolai. Uh, hello, Chippendale. Uh, hello. Oh. Um, Rescue Rangers. <laughs> oh, what was the name of that? I, I looked up the name of the band. Oh, they, they did Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Rangers. That's a great I, think song. It, I think it was an actual band and not just like studio musicians. Chippendale. Uh, greetings from Copenhagen, Denmark. Ooh, oh, greetings. Hello. Guten Morgen. Um, before I write my question, first I need to tell you that I went back and listened to some of your early two shot episodes. Oh. And I haven't listened to it before, which is where I realized that you, Whitney, broke my heart. <gasps> oh. What did you do? I'm sorry. Say. Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. Um, I, you were so close to to making one of my dreams come true, uh, and then it didn't. My heart sank to the bottom of my chest, and I haven't been able to forgive it nor forgive you for it. I want a flaming carrot movie, goddammit. <laughs> oh, uh, to briefly oh. retell that story. Oh my god, um, it's great story. There was. Uh, for, for two years, I was an intern for Roger Corman. I worked in Roger Corman's office, and uh, he didn't pay me because he's Roger Corman. He's not going to pay me a dime. So, you know, I got to do things like go down into, like, the dank basement and look for these old advertising elements that had been, like, growing mold for years and scrape them off and reuse them again. I got to see how they uh, reuse a lot of art assets for uh, cover art. 
they did a film called Ice Crawlers. They found a stock image of a woman screaming. Mm. Oh, I remember this. Uh, yeah. And uh, but I the, this movie came out. The idea was uh, she was supposed to be like underneath ice, like clawing at the ice. But they only had the face and not the hands. So they got the receptionist, brought her up to the roof, had her do claw hands up against the sky. So it was a clear blue background, and they composited the receptionist's hands onto the front of the the video box. Hollywood they cut, magic. They cut corners everywhere. Uh, my favorite story is when they had to complete a. Uh, film I think it was called Wolfhound and uh, they needed to recreate an Irish forest on the roof of a building just off of San Vicente here in Los Angeles <laughs> so they had me the unpaid intern go across the street sneak into the VA hospital which was just across the street what because there was it was like a park and there were a lot of trees they had me fill two big garbage bags full of like branches and leaves and whatever I could scoop up take them back to the office, spread them out over the roof, put them in a big sort of black garbage bag tent they had constructed up there. Boom, you got an Irish forest. <laughs> Did you ever see the footage? Did you ever see how it turned out? <laughs> it, looks, it looks like an Irish forest is cheap, right. cheap as, a, as a cheap movie. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. just asking if they got away with it. Uh, it doesn't matter whether they got away with it. They made the movie and they made money. <laughs> that was Fair Roger enough. Corman's attitude. But uh, they, they kept on asking me because I was like the young whippersnapper of the group. I was like yeah. 21 at the time. What's hip? They say, yeah, what, what's hip? I said, well, you know, superhero movies are going to be hip. I called it. <laughs> well, they what all, year was this? Th- this this was 2000. So a few had already been made. Yeah, uh, like X Men was, but it wasn't a, a it wasn't really a fad. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, and so they said, well, like Marvel, DC Comics, those things are like we can't afford to buy the rights for those characters. And they probably literally. remember the Fantastic Four incident, so they're kind of gun shy yeah. about the big ones. They don't care. They <laughs> hang on to the rights. That's that film served its purpose. They don't care. <laughs> uh, so I they so I was like thinking of like what's out there that's kind of obscure that I would like to see. So I said. This is a really weird comic. I think it would make a really fun movie. They made the Mystery Men into a movie. That didn't make money, but that's because they over-designed it. You scale it back. You make it just as weird. Make Flaming Carrot movie. You got something. And I contacted Bob Burden. Mm, the, the creator, cre- of, Flaming the creator yeah. of The Flaming Carrot. And Which is a they, very funny cult comic. Yeah, it's it's totally bizarre. It's about a guy with a big flaming carrot for a head, and he wears swim fins. And by and big, I mean it's really big. It's like, like the bottom extend, of the carrot like down past like his, his knees, knees, and yeah, it sticks way up over his head. It's yeah. a gigantic carrot head he's got. And uh, Luca, get off the counter, buddy. <laughs> I have zero tolerance tonight. Come on. But yeah, when I contacted the when I contacted the flaming carrot people, they. Uh, they were so excited that Roger Corman was reaching out to them about making a Flaming Carrot movie that they immediately sent this gigantic box of, like, all of the Flaming Carrot comics that had been published to date and, like, Flaming Carrot action figures and Zippo lighters, like, all of the merch they had. They look at had, this cool Look at all this cool stuff. Yeah. You, yeah, please, please, please. The development guy got to keep half of it. I got to keep the other half. Ooh. That was really cool. So I still have a lot of Flaming Carrot comics because of that. And they said, can you do a treatment on Flaming Carrots? Like, well, holy shit. What do I do for a treatment for Flaming Carrot? It's too weird. So I just did it straightforward. Here's what the comics are about. It's a guy with a Flaming Carrot. He's got a speaker in his chest that gives him advice. Uh, he goes to other dimensions. It's completely surrealist sort of thing. He dies. He comes back. Nobody cares. He lives in this little <laughs> dinky town, like someplace far out of the way, like Merced. And uh, you can just shoot in Merced, California, and you're good. And... Uh, and, and the development guy kind of looked at me a little askance and says, okay, we'll give it a try. <laughs> and he read it and read it and he read over my treatment. He said, this is too weird. We can't do anything with this. We're not going to buy the rights to a Too weird for Corman. Yeah. So you came so, this close. So I'm terribly so sorry, it's your Nikolai. Treatment. Your treatment my is treatment, the reason yeah. why we don't have a flaming caramel. It's, it's, I was, yeah. I was the, the, 
the dam in the way. Mm. Uh, anyway, I was, back to the letter. Yeah. I was hoping you two gentlemen could help me, or actually one of my friends, out with a task. My buddy is a college professor, and oh. besides teaching English literature pre-1922, also wow. teaches an elective titled Thinking Through Sci-Fi, a course that uses mm. science fiction as a genre to study sociology, sociopolitics, and philosophy. Great. He currently is prepping for the next semester, meaning with... Uh, meaning the one starting after January 2021, and he asked if I could help out structuring the curriculum. Wow. I'm writing to you two because you gents seem to know the genre pretty darn well. Maybe you have some suggestions on your own. Maybe you have some input on what movies on the curriculum can be replaced. Uh, to make it easier, here are the movies and books currently used so you know what not to suggest. Uh, Alien, mm-hmm. Blade Runner, okay. The Matrix, Robocop, okay. Interstellar, Metropolis, Ex Machina, District 9... I'm proud okay. to say that I'm responsible for this film being on here so he could get rid of James Cameron's Avatar <laughs> as choose the chosen film about clashing cultures and borders between humans and aliens. Yeah. Sergei Khan's Paprika and Wally. Ooh, Paprika's a good yeah, choice. Yeah, Paprika's like a good choice. Yeah. Um, and okay. there's, there's a list of books as well. Here are some books currently being used, which I know uh, have been turned into movies or TV shows, but will <clears throat> maintain reading material instead of the students spending too much time in front of the screen. Uh, the, the comic of Watchmen, uh, The Handmaid's Tale, mm. Jurassic Park, the book. Story of Your Life, which is adapted into Arrival, mm. uh, two H.G. Wells books, The Ellen of Dr. Moreau and The Invisible Man, and of course, 1984, Fahrenheit 451 and Brave New World. Right. Those three are kind of important. Also, Those are icons, um, yeah. Yevgeny uh, Zamyatin's We mm. uh, and Carl Chopik's R.U.R. Those are kind of important mm. uh, international pieces of, of sci-fi. And of course, we're looking at this from a sociological bent uh, in yeah. particular. So, yeah. uh, Alien Blade Runner, Matrix, Robocop, Interstellar, Metropolis, Ex Machina, District 9, WALL-E. I'm surprised 2001 A Space Odyssey isn't on there. Well, what does it have uh, to say about sociology really that's more about like our grand place in the universe and it is about how people interact with one another uh, I, su- I suppose so but it did say philosophy and so okay. our, our, our place in the universe is right square in there it's one of that's the more fair. philosophical science fiction movies uh, I would I would argue a more recent film uh, Arrival Mm-hmm. Uh, is a film about the way that well, not they, only... They said the book Arrival. Oh, they said the book yeah, Arrival. The bo- I'm sorry, the I misheard. The book that was going to be adapted into Arrival. I misheard that. I apologize. Yeah. Um, you, there, there were a lot of names with mm-hmm. love. So if I missed one, yeah. or uh, then, well, then let, I screwed let, up. Let me read more of the letter. Oh, I'm sorry. While, I thought you were done. While we, we brainstorm a little bit. Please, uh, please. My own pickings, my friend told me, is considered adding fr- a Frankenstein story. Yes. But uh, didn't want to simply take one of the many straight-up adaptations of Mary Shelley's book, nor add the book itself. Well, one could also um, argue that Robocop is a Frankenstein story. That, yeah, right. Sure. I understand what thoughts he put into adding body horror stories like Frankenstein to the curriculum so I suggested the excellent Vincenzo Natali film Splice from 2009 that's a good pick I like that that's that's clever and just in general I suggested uh, him consider Spike Jonze's film Her uh, if you mm-hmm. need another AI movie. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear suggestions of what could be added to the list and what could be taken off. I personally mm-hmm. wouldn't mind seeing Interstellar drop off, but I know Whitney would probably I... suggest getting rid of Blade Runner <laughs> and perhaps, perhaps replacing it with a short story to Android Dream think... Electric Sheep. Hope you can be, help my buddy out. Um, is that uh, the end of the line? Uh, one more thing. Thanks for your many great podcasts that I enjoy listening to while I'm on my train to work. I became a top-tier patron subscriber about two months ago, and I listened to your many shows with oh, great you. enjoyment. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Really um, appreciate it. I'm still waiting for my Your Critically Acclaimed episode that I suggested a while ago. I will name the movie down below. Uh, signing off so you can keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Lots we, of love from Scandinavia and a happy delayed Midsommar, Nikolai. We're, we're literally, after we do this podcast, we're scheduling our next wave of Your Critically Acclaimed. We know mm. we need to pick up the pace on this. Um, so, uh, yeah, these are a lot of great suggestions. I think if you're going to replace Blade Runner, like if you want to replace Blade Runner and you want to have another Mm -hmm. film that talks about uh, the way that humanity looks at some people as less than people, 
uh, in a science fiction realm, like they were made to work. That's what Blade Runner is all about. These are tools. And, yeah. um, and I think the film that has most cannily covered that in recent years is not Blade Runner 2049, a movie I do like, mm. uh, but was actually uh, be Ex Machina. Which, which he mentioned. Which yeah. he mentioned. So yeah. that's, that would be a, a, a strong one for there. Um, let's see here. What would be... Uh, interesting oh, film about like, this. This is this is a great great exercise. Yes, uh, I promise agree. this is not something I can sort of rattle off off of the top of my head. No, this, this is going to take a little thought. Um, and if we again, we we will we'll spitball a little bit. It, it sounds like you have oh, oh silent running. There's one. Oh, yeah, silent running was pretty good. Silent running is an excellent film um, about uh, sort of the way that yeah. we value. Uh, ecology and the way that if it stops really affecting us personally, mm. we don't really care about larger world issues. Yeah. Like if we find a workaround and we don't need to think about the environment, mm. we'll just stop doing it. I, I'm a little uh, little upset that there's only one non-American film, and that would be Paprika on this list, mm-hmm. uh, which put, means um, you're you're leaving off uh, Solaris. Yeah. Uh, you're leaving off one of my favorite science fiction movies, Fantastic Planet. Oh, that's uh, a which, really yeah, good which one. Is yeah. a really really good movie. Um, I, I, um, I I would say there's at least two Godzilla movies I consider the original Godzilla which is mm. a rather obvious allegory for uh, for you know nuclear weaponry but also Shin Godzilla which is very much yeah. about the way that contemporary society approaches giant world changing problems in the way that it's very uh, weighed down in bureaucracy yeah yeah, yeah for um, sure. and that's a really great movie I, I love Shin Godzilla yeah. um, if you're looking to drop Blade Runner in favor of another Philip K. Dick story mm. um, there's there's been a lot of really crampy Philip K. Dick adaptations. <laughs> That's true. And uh, Richard Linklater's A Scanner Darkly isn't the yeah. best movie, but I think it does use science fiction to examine uh, drug addiction in a really interesting sort of way. Mm. Um, if you want big science fiction ideas, there are plenty of films that sort of failed, like Cloud Atlas, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, has huge ideas about, you know, interconnectivity and transmigration of the soul and all of those things. If you want a sci-fi film that explores existential ennui, mm-hmm. may I recommend John Carpenter's Dark Star? Oh yeah, Dark Star is a good one. It's, where it's, They have a literal, a, a straight-up philosophical conversation with an artificial intelligence in that one. An artificial intelligence which is a bomb and it's debating whether or not it needs to blow up in order to justify its own existence. Yeah, yeah. It's, like if, if it's, it, it's, low, it's low-fi, but it's really clever and well-constructed. Mm. Um, it's kind of obvious, but Soylent Green and Planet of the Apes, you mm-hmm. know, those are like s- straight up social metaphors. Yeah, I was surprised Planet of the Apes wasn't on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Attack the Block, uh, I think is a movie that it's, is... It's about it, class, it's, yeah. it's smarter about class, and it's very easy to watch that movie and not pick up on any of the undercurrents and salient themes about, uh, mm-hmm. uh, about class, but w- if you watch it more than once, I think it's hard to miss. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a very excellent film. Oh, and one we covered on, uh, on a mm-hmm. podcast recently was The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, that's uh, a good yeah, one. Yeah, with with, uh, with David Bowie. Um, no, that's a good one. That's that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's that's all about sort of the way American culture deteriorates the soul in a really kind of uh, mm-hmm. horrible way. Uh, Chris uh, Barker's uh, La Jetée mm-hmm. is really really good. I was going to throw out Under the Skin. Under the Skin is yeah. really, really. I love Under the Skin. Under the Skin's a great one. Um, you know, one might be interesting to sort of explore, mm. but I think you have to kind of look at it in sort of a meta way, maybe not the way it's originally intended, mm. uh, is Men in Black and the way that that film makes light of immigration issues <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, sort of celebrates sort of the people who are like, mm. you know, like they're sort of, it, it's very much a film made about celebrating the man yeah, in an odd yeah. way, in a way that's both sympathetic, but also 
they are telling us exactly what they're doing, and not all of it's really cool if you think about it. <laughs> um, if uh, one of, another one of my favorite science fiction movies, if you're looking to use science fiction as a lens through which we consume uh, genre media, mm. go to David Cronenberg's Videodrome. Oh, there you go. Uh, where, yeah, all about how there are certain people who are susceptible to. Uh, coercion via the media and how that is being manipulated to sort of really shadowy ends. It's actually kind of unclear in the movie, which I like. Yeah. Um, Oh, here's one. Here's one. I think it it was, people liked it, but I don't tend to see it on less of the best sci-fi movies of the last 10 years, but I would say Duncan Jones's source code. Uh, is a not, film. not a huge fan. I, I'm a huge fan. The, the, the th- plot has all kinds of holes in it. The pl- yeah. Well, you can say that for a lot of sci-fi films, especially know, about anything even remotely to do with time travel. It, but it's one of those movies you notice them while you're watching it, though. Th- that's true, but I think the movie is, doesn't exist to function as this like perfect little puzzle box. I think hmm. what it's actually about, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a guy who is part of a government experiment, and he keeps going back in time and reliving the few minutes before a bomb blows up on a train mm-hmm. and he they keep sending him back to relive those moments over and over again because they're trying to find out who did it and how to prevent further catastrophe but in his perspective everyone who dies mm-hmm. is real and they, could they be look saved like they look like they're still alive in front of him yeah and to everyone else it's like no you can't change that that's the past they are nothing but figures mm-hmm. and the whole movie ultimately is about the different is like when we we look at great tragedies we tend to stop looking at people as human beings, start looking at them as statistics. Mm. And then that makes it easier to dehumanize them. And that's actually a really smart conversation that movie is having about the importance of not doing that. Uh, um, so I, I think that movie deserves a little bit, it's well liked, but I think it deserves a little bit more respect than it gets. All right. Um, they Live is... Oh, I think, of course one They of the, Live. Gosh, how do we not bring this yeah. up? They Live is one of the great political movies of the 1980s, and it's very, very much about class and how the media uh, affects yeah. us and, and uh, uh, changes the way that we perceive not just the world around us, but the way in which mm. we're being controlled as something that is comforting and nurturing as opposed to something insidious and corrupt. Mm. Um, so that I would definitely the, put that one on there. Oh, uh, John Frankenheimer's Seconds. I haven't seen Seconds. Oh, that's a good um, one. It's the one about um, age and the way that we sort yeah. of pursue young life and how it sort of how regrettable that can be. Right. And uh, another one we covered recently for uh, episode zero was George Lucas's own THX 1138. Yeah. Really about good. how, how, t- you know what? In fact, I'm going to suggest uh, you do what we did mm-hmm. uh, in order to yes. sort of study uh, sort of the through line of what star Wars is. Uh, don't just watch THX 1138, but also watch it with the short film that kind of inspired THX 1138, and it was called uh, 2187. Yeah. Uh, it's a short film. It's very short. Yeah, it's like t- 10 minutes long. Uh, 21 hyphen 87. And, yeah. uh, and that one really kind of, I think for you and I, really kind of unlocked a lot of George Lucas's filmography. Mm-hmm. It was like a, this, this mysterious skeleton key that talks about uh, how the, the present is the place where everything kind of fell, fell apart, where the past is really idealized and yeah. the future is really dystopian. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I could continue to talk. Uh, you know, we, we, didn't we, even talk, yeah, we didn't even talk about like Brazil or, or mm. uh, Gattaca or any of those. Or uh, um, Mad Max Fury Road is talking mm. about sort of institutionalized not, fascism and misogyny. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's a science fiction movie. That's it is, I, though. It's, it's, it's dystopian. It, it could just as well be a, like a medieval fantasy with, with gasoline. Oh, it depends on how mm. nitpicky you want to be about mm. the definition of these things. And I can appreciate mm. that. Um, oh, uh, uh, Akira. Oh, yeah, Akira uh, is, is yeah. about, um, well, it's about the bomb, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 
I, I mean, it's really complicated. Yeah. And actually, that's one where probably reading it might be even better, but the book is really long. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's not ideal. But um, anyway, hopefully that gives you some stuff to think about. Um, mm. We could go on and on. Sci-fi is a wonderful genre that's uh, filled with a lot of excellent opportunities for yeah. commentary. Uh, but those are some of the stuff that mm. came to mind. Yeah. Let us know what. Oh, please let us know. Write us back. Let us know what the curriculum turns out to be. Yeah. yeah. Whether no, we have we any just, influence on it at all, just, I'm just curious. I know now. we just like put a shuffle full on your face, but uh, that's yeah. that's that's what we got. Uh, here's another letter. Here's a letter from Mark. Hi, Mark. Oh, and, th- and this is actually related, so oh, this is going to be a good perfect. segue. Uh, Dear Biz and Whitney, first off, thank you for being just being you. Oh, oh well, that's nice. Couldn't thank be you. anybody else. Thank you so. for being you. <laughs> I'm glad you're you. Uh, I'm entirely self-taught in regards to my film knowledge, and am admittedly still a neophyte, and I find your podcasts really informative without being condescending or dismissive. Uh, more like, if you haven't seen Movie X, here's why it's awesome, than if you haven't seen Movie X, what's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah that's, 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 that's something you do in your 20s. I'm done with that. Uh, yeah, and it's immature, and we should stop okay. encouraging it. Yeah. Uh, I finished my PhD in genetics. Wow! All right. That's my, amazing! Good my, for you! And my wife and I are about to welcome our first child into the world. Wow! Oh, talk. Congratulations! Um, uh, because science has played a huge role in my life, and I'm thinking about how to expose a new human to why science is amazing, mm. I wanted to get your take on this question. I have found most science fiction movies that actually focus on science have a theme along the lines of humanity messing with forces they can't control, i.e. Jurassic Park, Ex Machina, Mm -hmm. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Deep Blue Sea, etc., all in line thematically with the sci-fi boom of the 50s and 60s. Or science Mm -hmm. is portrayed as a tool which drives the conflicts, like genetic testing in Gattaca, or the mind-warping tech in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. There seem to be fewer movies that really portray science as a positive force that can solve problems, inspire, and helps us to understand the universe, i.e. Apollo 13, or Contact. Mm -hmm. Tomorrowland, despite having a ton of problems, has Mm -hmm. a message at the end of the day that I can appreciate at least part of, more or less a call call to action to fix the problems of the world through science, technology, and humanism. Mm -hmm. Though it dives a bit too far in the ivory tower exceptionalism mindset. That's for sure. That's fair. Totally fair. There's Um, a lot of like in that movie, but that's in there. That's true. That stinks. It's based on a pretty bad idea at the end of the day. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some movies that really champion science in this way? And, uh, as a solution and a way to move humanity forward uh, that take a more optimistic view? Sign Mark. Uh, That's a great question. I remember when I was uh, younger, someone posited to me that there were very, very, very few sci-fi stories of any ilk, really, that didn't consider science, at least subtextually, as a bad thing. Because very often science fiction... You know, science fiction often stems from what if this technology existed, then yeah. what would happen? But because our natural storytelling tendency is to look for conflict, mm. it is extremely easy to say what's the absolute worst case scenario of this technology existing and then telling a story about that. And the you're, downside you're, is that technological, technological advancement just seems bad, doesn't it? Like, why would we want to, like, create life? It, it, ever since Frankenstein, yeah. it always turns out bad. Okay, there's a big conversation to have about the morality of it, but that's also a book. Mm. And maybe if we had the technology <laughs> to reanimate people, maybe it might be a good thing. Well, Is that possible? I, Who knows? I, I do like stories where uh, the technology developed is, like, really good, but it's corrupted by, like, an economic system. Yeah. That's like like Robocop, for instance. 
we were able to resurrect this guy and put him in a robot body. We brought a person back to life, essentially. Yeah. But he's a piece of property of a privatized police force. Yeah, so it's the technology a, yeah. isn't the problem. It's how it's being... Exactly. You, that's exactly. a good point, um, yeah. uh, I'm not a huge fan of the film, but did you see Repo Men? No. Oh, yes, uh, I did. With okay. uh, Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it's, yeah I, or, I, organ I, transplants. I kind of liked yeah. it. It's not great, though. Yeah. 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 Or, but the, the premise is organ transplants are really common in the future and really easy to do. Like, you can just get an, a, a transplant on an outpatient basis. Yeah. But because it's such an expensive process... Uh, if you default on your loan, a, a repossessor will come and take the, your organ back. They'll cut open your body and take out your kidneys or whatever you mm-hmm. have. Uh, and the, the last scene is just twisted as fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really, it's, really it's, gross. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. It's amazing. I will say this. The ending is pretty damn good. Yeah, like That's that's the part where it really kind of starts to sing. But um, it, it's difficult to point to these movies because, yeah, when technology, like a particular technological advance is the focus mm-hmm. then it's also going to be the crux of the drama which is uh, in which case the, yeah. it often becomes a negative thing however there are the, exceptions there are exceptions and so you need to look for films where technology is the backdrop and there's no shortage of those because that's every space opera isn't it a lot of them uh, yeah. it's you know, where the, we're just sort of living on a spaceship or a mm-hmm. space station and everything just works okay and life is better star trek Star Trek is the ultimate it's, example. It's the of this. example. Of there are a lot of examples of technology in Star Trek mm-hmm. being negative. The Borg is the most obvious mm-hmm. example, but overall, it is perceived as though technology is the thing through which we have been able to mm-hmm. evolve as a species and as a variety of species mm-hmm. and cultures and better ourselves and understand ourselves in the universe better. Star Trek is one of the two exceptions that uh, I I found when I was. Someone mm-hmm. said. When, going back to my original anecdote, someone said the only exception I can think of is Star Trek. Okay. And I came up with one more. However, there are more I've come up with since, but even at the time. Hmm. Ghostbusters. That's right. People don't think of Ghostbusters as a science fiction movie, and I totally get it because it feels so mm-hmm. grounded, but yeah. the only reason they're able to bust ghosts is because they put proton accelerators on their back and programmed them to be able to catch ghosts. Yeah, yeah. It is a horror movie, it is a comedy, and it's a sci-fi movie, and it's also a working class Joe movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that makes that movie so cool. But, uh, but that's one where mm-hmm. science has enabled us to actually take control of our lives over superstition and, mm. you know, the evils of the past. I'm not saying that they necessarily thought about that too much, but it is in there. Yeah. Um, more and, recently. But, it, but again, that's folded into this sort of like, they have this amazing technology, but it's presented in this like really kind of blase way because they're just sort of flip and don't care about but it. it. But the technology is just functional and it's used to actually exactly. help people and that it, is a good thing. It, it is used, uh, yeah. but, you know, the, the sort of blue-collar working man aspect is where the joke comes from. That's why the movie's enjoyable. I think the ultimate and best example of a science fiction movie in which the science... It drives it, but it's not the cause of the problem, Mm. and it is big part of the solution, is The Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Martian, which I was going to bring up The Martian. It's one Um, of the best sci-fi movies of the last decade. It is an absolutely wonderful film, and it mm. is unbearably hopeful without being naive. Yeah, yeah, it's it it is it's about how um it's not just about the importance and the power of scientific knowledge. Uh it's also about the power of good humor. Mm. Not just having that knowledge but being able to weather it with good character. Mm-hmm. It is an incredibly optimistic film, The Martian. Um yeah. it's one of Ridley Scott's best. I agree. Uh and I I just love the scene where Matt Damon, he's the Martian, is like 
well, if there's only some way to grow plants here on Martian soil. And then he holds up his own dossier to the camera. Luckily, and he points to his own dossier and he points to the word, I am a botanist. <laughs> So like he he's he's being funny about it, but that's also like one of the world's most important coping mechanisms. He, isn't the it? way Having he's a ab- good sense of humor. The way he's it. able to survive in that film, yeah, he's a scientist. But the way he's able to survive is by approaching things consistently, mm. like a scientist with a positive attitude. Which is here is a problem. It seems impossible, but no problem is impossible. I'm just going to have to to quote the film, science the shit out of it. <laughs> To science it. It's, it seriously is, me. I think, maybe the ultimate example of what we're talking about, um, <laughs> at least like so far. There are other good, Betty, positive sci-fi movies, don't get Betty, me wrong. you but know that's... what this could mean for science. It could mean great advances in the field of science. <laughs> that's from The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, which is also very pro-science. <laughs> Larry Blumier is an amazing man. I'd love to talk to him someday. He's got such a weird I've sense of him. humor. He was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's those are those are examples right there. I'm trying to think of some other ones like well, that. And, uh, the um, the the uh, the movie has issues, and the director is well. Ugh. You can say he's a creep. Creep, but uh, the opening of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Yeah, the yeah. prologue to that just alone. You just look at it as a short film. You don't even need to get to the main character. When the main characters show up, you don't need to uh, go any further and get an amazing piece of cinema. I still mostly like the movie, regardless of who made it, but. Yeah, that opening bit is really optimistic yeah. sci-fi. Yeah, I, I, I do adore that movie, but yeah, the director is a total creep. God, that sucks, yeah. right? Sex was victims uh, more than anything. Well, but, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, if that came across insensitive, no, I apologize. No, but so, like, it's, no, it's just like, God damn it. Why, can't, mm-hmm. why, why do people have to be monsters? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. um, I'm trying to think of other now, good a, examples. A, a lot of people go to 2001 A Space Odyssey <laughs> as an example of how technology is bad. How? How is bad? Mm-hmm. He kills, he, he kills people because the mission is more important than human life. Mm. Hal doesn't understand human life. That's its one fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they end up destroying Hal. But at the end of the day, the techno- our space technology is the thing that's going to allow us to ascend to the next plane of our evolution. Mm-hmm. So it, it's actually very ambivalent about technology, but I think ultimately incredibly positive. Well, Dis- and uh, that's all why we had that prologue in ancient time with the proto-humans in yeah. ancient times. We, we became smart enough as a species to figure out tools yeah. and that made us smarter. That was sort of our next step in growth into yeah. uh, what we were to become. You, but you at can the same skip time, all of humanity between mm-hmm. we invented tools to we went to space. They're the oh. same fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Grog threw a boat in the air and it turned into a spaceship. <laughs> That's an MST3K <laughs> reference. Thank you, Cave Dwellers. Mm. Um, but uh, what I was going to say about 2001 is uh, I actually think 2010 is actually a pretty good example of positive sci-fi. Mm. Uh, I think 2001, you're right, is a bit ambivalent about it. It's positive and negative. Yeah. I think 2010 is actually way more about like countries coming together to solve problems. And actually, uh, it, and in a way, the the explanation that it provides, which is already always there, but they didn't really talk about it much in the movie, for why Hal started killing people, mm. actually goes into sort of what you were talking about before. The technology itself wasn't evil. It was the way that we programmed it. Yeah. And so Hal was actually misprogrammed. He was programmed to always like do the right thing and be on the mission but he was also programmed to lie and those things were actually contradicting each other and he was given contradictory information it's just like any star trek episode where you use a logic problem and then the computer like blows <laughs> right, up right. except hal couldn't blow up all he could do was his best and he was 
a, a, a naive creation of man who didn't know what to do and made horrible mistakes. Yeah, I, 2010 is a better film than we were good for. It's nowhere near as good as 2001. Mm-hmm. Most movies aren't. But 2010 is pretty good. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke wrote two other books in that series. They should make those into movies. It was 2061 and 3001. I've never read those. Um, I don't know if they're... I, I don't know. I don't know hmm. if they're like... If you would read them and go, that's a movie. But hmm. the, bear in mind, of course, 2001, the book was written like along with the movie. It actually wasn't right, an adaptation. Right. So that's a weird... Uh, example there. Um, I'm trying to think of there are other good examples of sci-fi. Oh, here's a good example of positive sci-fi. It's a bit of a roundabout because we already talked about Star Trek. Hmm. Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Which is a Star Trek movie. It's a Star Trek movie, but it's because it's not literally a Star Trek movie. It's What it's about is about people inspired by Star Trek to hmm. develop technologies that would actually advance them as a culture. Yeah. And then they do. It's like, you know... That's good. We've, we've seen a lot of Star Trek episodes where they go to a planet where they've adopted Earth... Of the past, yeah. Imagine that, but with Star Trek, you go yeah, to a with planet Earth of the future. Yeah, you go with go to a planet. It's a Star Trek planet. Yeah, it, that's that's Galaxy mm. Quest. Galaxy Quest is wonderful. Um, I'm sure there are other good mm. examples. I'd love to hear if anyone else can think of like a couple of good examples of like really positive sci-fi that is also a good movie. Mm. Um, so please uh, let us know. Mm. And, and and sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's ambivalent. Like technology saves us in Wally. It also doomed us in Wally. Mm. So, yeah, arguably another ambivalent example, but and I think well because I think every time and this history proves this out every time we invent a new technology we gain a lot and we lose a lot uh, things change for the better and for the worse simultaneously all the time yeah uh, and it's it, it's not a, a constant arc up if you're talking about the grand texture of human happiness uh, in in terms of our health in terms of our well being yes uh, in terms of uh, Ensuring that we're better off as a species in the long run, yeah. And when when, when you start to get yeah. when you get start to get philosophical about is are we happier now than we were when we didn't have this, this technology? Well, that's debatable. Yeah, very much um, so. Depending on the thing. Depending on the thing. Depending on the thing. Mm-hmm. Itself. Anyway, but uh, that's a wonderful question, yeah. and we hope uh, we gave you some examples. These might be things that you've heard of, but again, we're we're mm-hmm. sending out the call. If anyone else wants to write in with some more examples of technology that is hopeful about the future and the role science will play in it. Mm-hmm. Please listen. Earth to Echo. <laughs> Earth to Echo is a very underrated film about the it way is, that it, young people are actually adapting to, sci- to technology that would have been science fiction 30 years ago. Hmm. And the way that uh, it's a sound footage film that's like on people's cell phones. But the gag is uh, an, an alien robot crash lands on the planet and it is broken and it can only communicate to people through their cell phones. And it's and, all and, yeah, a bunch of twelve-year-olds are the only ones equal to the task. And the only thing that the the and their phones, these like things that allow them to look up any information that they need to solve puzzles and save the day or communicate with each other. And mm-hmm. it's all about how technology is actually empowering a new generation yeah. to be better and make the world and maybe even the universe a better place. That movie is way better than people give it credit for, and I certain, love its themes. I, we both gave it a big positive review it, when it came out. It and was a uh, big summer release, and it just, it, nobody noticed because it was a really tiny film, really. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's a shame. It deserves it was, credit. It was a so found good. footage film right in the middle of the wave, so people said, oh, it's just another one of those. Yeah, it was people were kind of dumb with it at the time. Yeah. It's, it's a shame, and it deserves yeah. to be rediscovered. If you've never seen it, please yeah. check it out. It's really positive mm-hmm. and fun. Uh, here's a letter from B. Peterson. We get a lot of letters Yay! from B. Peterson. Hi, B. Uh, dear Bibbs and late for dinner. <laughs> yes. 
I apologize if the following statement causes any offense to you fellows. Oh, no. But I feel obligated to respond to your review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Okay. While I appreciate your take on the film, there was one glaring omission when it came to the aspects of the film you touched upon. You failed to mention that Bill and Ted Face the Music happens to be not only the best film that has ever been made, <laughs> but that will ever be made. <laughs> Thank you, B. Uh, in all seriousness, I really, really enjoyed the film. As someone who only recently got around to the series and quite enjoyed the first two installments to my surprise, this, for whatever reason, really connected to me and might just be uh, simply the most happy I've felt upon finishing a film this year. However, I did want to chime in with many uh, on the four things I had quibbles with. Okay. Uh, one, this is barely an issue, but my word, Keanu Reeves really does look better with his beautiful beard. Hey. So do I. <laughs> There's a reason you don't see me without this beard anymore. That's all I'm going to say. I'll say this. Keanu doesn't do it for me. He's just not Even with my, the beard? With, without, no matter, even, even, even John Keanu, Wick. Even John, in John Wick. John Wick Keanu, Dracula Keanu, he just never did it for me. He's just not my type. I'm going to throw out a weird Keanu and mm. just out of curiosity mm. see if this one did it for you. Mm. I love you to death. I didn't see I Love You to Death. You should, so everyone should see I Love You to Death. That movie is amazing. Mm. Keanu Reeves and William Hurt play stoner hitmen who are trying to kill Kevin Klein because he's a philanderer and his wife is sick of it, and he won't die. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's the, the everyone is the, firing all cylinders. That River Phoenix is wonderful in that movie. Everyone's wonderful in that movie. Yeah. Just uh, I, I've even seen my own private Idaho, where he's you know, mm. shirt, shirtless and greased up and looking all hot and. Well, give, give me River Phoenix any day of the week. Well, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, aspect number two. Also not a huge deal, but for a movie promoting globalism and representation as much as this one, they whiffed by making uh, Jesus white. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they fell back on some old archetypes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I get that they were going for a joke with The Last Supper, but come on, three. Uh, three, it would have been easy to make Billy non-binary. Yep. Uh, Bridget Lundy Payne, who played Billy, was stellar in the role, and they did play the character as... Genderless, mm -hmm. I, yeah, yeah. They never gender actually, sexuality the, isn't really brought the, up. The, the um, characters, the characters' gender is never relevant to the story. Yeah, yeah. in a, in any particular way. Uh, yeah. Uh, so but by it, all means, it, why not? But yeah. it would have been awesome to see some explicit representation on yes, screen. It, yes, uh, it's it always is better to have explicit. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. Why, why, why weren't Bill and Ted lovers? It could have been. It could have been. Yeah. Um, God. Been awesome to see explicit representation uh, and in a recognizable franchise at that. For this is the only thing that might not have improved the film, but also the previous two. There was a moment in the counseling scene where they could have exploited the nature of Bill and Ted's relationship to each other in a subversive way. Oh, there we go. And uh, mm -hmm. almost looked like it was going to, but the way Bill and Ted saw their relationship with each other was essentially as equivalent to their relationships with their wives. They were in couples counseling together. Yeah. Two couples. Yeah, 21 together, Jump yeah. Street did the same gag, yeah, yeah. if you'll recall. Um, there was potential to maybe explore some queerness or polyamory or something. Yeah, I feel like if they had uh, and yeah. had done it well, then this could have turned a simple joke and into a way to show their character growth away from homophobia they expressed in their earlier films, retroactively making it less problematic, yeah. if only slightly. So they they use a slur in the first movie. There's a uh, little, there's and, a brief moment yeah. of gay panic, and it does suck. Mm. It stands out. Yeah, it's, it's not cool. It, uh, when we saw it as kids, it was just a funny thing to say. It was a thing. It was yeah. it was so common to see that in films. It didn't stand out at the time, and yeah. nowadays it's just like, ah, oh, Bill and Ted, you're better than that. My, my oh gosh, my my quote favorite. I think, I think I think actually having you know one of their children you know be non-binary and then being totally cool and supportive of that would have yeah. also helped mitigate yeah. that in the passage of that they've grown as people. When it comes to those like eighties comics uh, moments of like clueless gay panic, yeah. Uh, my quote favorite moment comes from Teen Wolf. 
Uh, I don't recall there, it. There's a, there, I haven't seen the movie in a There's long a time. bit where uh, where Michael J. Fox goes to his friend. He's like, I, I have something I need to say to you. And and the guy kind of backs off and says, whoa, you're not about to say you're gay, are you? Like, he's really freaked out that he might say yeah. he's gay. And Michael J. Fox says, no, 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 I'm not gay. I'm a werewolf. It's like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> like, being a werewolf is better than being gay in that movie. Uh, it's so horrible and clueless. It's just... It's, no, it's really bad. It encapsulates the 80s in a such a, a wonderful slash horrible way. We, uh, we watched... We rewatched just on a lark. We rewatched the early Jim Carrey comedy, Once Bitten, which is... Oh, with the shower scene, yeah. Oh, the shower scene is so fucking terrible. Most of the movie is actually a pretty generic and inoffensive teen sex comedy in which a young Jim Carrey is anxious about losing his virginity and so making, they, making his sexual debut making, thank you <laughs> he's, anxious, he's anxious about having sex for the first time yeah, it's yeah. seen as uh, this cartoonishly overbuilt up thing everyone he knows is literally having sex except for him and so his friends convince him to go to a bar and, and have sex with an available older woman and who's very Hutton, experienced yeah. and it's Lauren Hutton who turns out to be a vampire who needs to feed on virgins and it's all a pretty thin allegory for uh, sort of conservative ideas of, oh, you had sex, now you're a sinner. Mm. Also, the idea that now that he's like had sex and he's paler and he has bite marks on his privates. Mm. And so, oh, it's a metaphor for, you know, sexually transmitted infections. And um, there's a, and there are parts of it that are really cute. There's a really cute like dance number in it where mm. they're like uh, Jim Carrey, Lauren Hutton, and I forget the young woman who played uh, his girlfriend, but she's really good in it. Um, they have a really, really good like dance number in it where you can see early on just how great a physical comedian Jim Carrey would become. Mm. But then there's this really homophobic shower scene that well, is but- so gross and so out of place and mm-hmm. so just shameful the, the, honestly yeah, it, it really just sits there in the movie like mm. a like an explosive device just waiting to go off yeah, the, the context of the scene is uh jim carrey supposedly has fang marks like way up on the inside of his thigh yeah and his two buddies suspect he's become a vampire so mm. they have to look at his inner thigh yeah. to see if he's got the fang marks and the only place to do that is in the shower and they, yeah. they end up like grabbing him and touching him yeah and everybody just freaks out all of yeah. the other like they're off camera but we hear a lot of yelling oh my goodness really really bad but in any case you know bill and ted is not the worst offender in there but yeah there's some stuff in the early films and there were definitely i agree ways that they could have mitigated that in the present there's also a lot of things that we need to sort of examine because a lot of the i think you're right i think the reason why jesus was specifically white and why they probably didn't think about it beyond that is because they're using it jesus is an important character in that movie yeah jesus he's just a quick reference and, a cameo, right? and the idea is yeah we just see the last supper and then jesus is just lightning out of there and sent to another time because all of time is mm-hmm. askew but because so of the last was, supper jesus was depicted as white yeah they'd left that in the movie yeah and frankly because but i actually think that really could have made it even easier to make him not white because we're instantly going to recognize the last supper and if he's mm. not white we get it jesus isn't white mm. that probably would have been a strong thing to do as well mm. we can always do better i will say this bill and ted face the music I, I and i think our, our main critique of the film was that it's just kind of too cheap for its own good and I've, I've actually read some interviews apparently like 
they cut and the budgets at the last the minute. The budgets sort of were yeah. really cut. Like, the budgets were really low. Like, I think someone even asked, like, why is it so short? And it's like, that's literally all we could afford to film. <laughs> like, it's so short because we couldn't film anything else. There's, like, almost nothing on the cutting room floor. Like, that's it. That's the movie. And, um, which is a shame because it's a big franchise. You think some people could have thrown a little bit more money at it. So, that's a big issue. But there's all these kinds of things when you realize that even good movies... There's room for improvement, and when we look at the way that attitudes are changing and the way that uh, we're having more positive conversations about a lot of things that we often took for granted as, it sucks, but that's the way it is. Mm. Like, we really have an opportunity to move on from that, and it's disappointing when films come so close and don't quite get there. But Mm. I agree. I think it's a really delightful film overall, and it's totally reasonable to criticize, or actually I really like the term you use, to examine mm. closely, positively and negatively, the things that we even like. Mm. So that's a that's a really, really good point, you made. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, and there's a little epilogue to this letter. Oh, snap. Uh, anyway, I had a ton of fun with this film to the point that it's now sitting in my top five films of the year so far. Okay. Alongside Driveways, uh, re- uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which I haven't seen yet. Mm, me either. Uh, First Cow. Yay. <laughs> Silly to see it. Uh, and Crip Camp. Good choice. Great movies. Um, yeah. I simply wanted to point some things out that I thought were worth pointing out. Thank you for indulging me. Thank you. See you in the next one. B. Peterson. Out of curiosity, Whitney, what are, what are some of the films that are like your favorites of the year so far? We didn't do like an episode of that this no, year. No, we haven't. But like, uh, it, it's... What it's, stands out? Uh, I really liked Autumn Dwell's Emma. Uh, I really okay. like The Invisible Man. Invisible Man's definitely uh, on my list. Really, too. really, I, and First Cow. I keep on bringing up First Cow. Kelly yeah. Reichardt's First Cow is just excellent. Yeah, uh, I liked a really kind of. There was a, a pair of downbeat coming of age lesbian dramas that came out with like in a week of each other. Oh, that I were remember both that. Really yeah. good. There was one called To the Stars, which I really, really liked, mm. and there was another one called The Half of It, which I really, really liked. That was good. I uh, that yeah, was good. the Half of It is like a little more story oriented. It's a, it's, it's a. It lesbian, plays more like a John Hughes it's, film. It's in like a way, lesbian yeah. John Hughes Cyrano de Bergerac story. Yeah. The other one is a little bit more uh, nuanced about sort of time and place. It takes place in like fifties Oklahoma. Yeah. Then uh, that that one was really really good. Yeah. Uh, I love The Vast of Night. Vast of Night's really good. That's also on my <laughs> list if I were making a list. The Vast yeah. of Night's really, uh, a really distinct film. It's so yeah. rare to see a film that feels so much mm-hmm. like isolated in the popular culture mm-hmm. and is itself and um, not like relying on everything else to boost it. Yeah. Spike Lee's The Five Buds. Yes. Uh, it's really, really good. Hell yes. Uh, I really loved a Korean film which nobody talked about called House of Hummingbird. I think it was the only yeah, one I saw you loved this that year. I, I that, really, yeah. really loved House of Hummingbird. Mm-hmm. Another teen coming of age drama just without a lesbian aspect. Mm-hmm. I really loved St. Francis. St. Francis is really, really good. Wonderful movie yeah. about a woman who, uh, who has an abortion and mm-hmm. uh, is uh, dealing with a lot of drama in the aftermath mm-hmm. once she starts Starts uh, becoming a nanny to a precocious child uh, from a same-sex relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really like thoughtful and beautifully acted, mm-hmm. and that's really really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Driveways, I agree with mm-hmm. uh, B. Peterson. Nobody saw this. Nobody talked about it. It's one of the best films of the year. Certainly, some of the best performances of the year. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see what else. Um, uh-huh. uh, Palm Springs. Yeah, Palm Springs yeah, Palm, is delightful. Palm Springs is, is good. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really right. good. I think Palm Springs is a really delightful film that takes the Groundhog Day pre- uh, premise mm-hmm. and actually like takes it to different logical, philosophical mm-hmm. conclusions. I think that one yeah, is really, I, really excellent. I like, I she like Dies the, Tomorrow is fantastic. She Dies Tomorrow is really, really yeah. good. Um, I like Color Out of Space. Uh, that's, Still haven't it's, seen it's that. Just a, it's just a good, crazy horror flick. It's ridiculous um, that I haven't seen that. My partner in the Schmodown is in it. <laughs> I think it's on Shutter now. I heard it's on yeah, Shutter. I'm going to get to it. You can watch it on Shutter. I know. I know. It's ridiculous. Uh, there, um, uh, Daniel isn't real. Was a really good horror movie. 
It's all right. Think it got overlooked. I think I, I overlooked. I, I think it's it's yeah. it's a little silly, but yeah, it has some really good weird uh, horror moments. Whitney's tired of me talking up Birds of Prey, but I, I uh, still stand uh, by it. I, Blood I, Machines is a very 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 cool hugely, flick. Hugely ambitious, weird, yeah. weird, visually interesting movie. Uh, and some people argue that it's not a film. They're wrong. Hamilton is what a great thing. <laughs> what a great thing to watch. Hamilton uh, is the horror film of the year. Is host. Uh, that speaks to life in 2020 better than any any other movie this year. Interesting uh, argument to be made uh, for that. I still think it's probably Invisible Man, but also it's definitely if, up there. Also, if you're the type of person who watches movies on your laptop, host will be even scarier. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, the uh, best, I, the only great animated film I think I've seen all year is The Willoughbys. The, I was going to mention The Willoughbys. The Willoughbys is delightful and weird. If you're like Adam's Family type mm. humor or whatever, it's like, it's so yeah. damn good. If you're, if you're an old school Tim Burton fan, you'll love yeah. something like The Willoughbys. Uh, no one else is going to list this on their favorite films of the year, but I thought The Painted Bird, and it's just mm. aggressive misery, you and is, misery, is really, 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 really... Whitney just loves misery, just, just misery and pain. It's right. wonderful. Do we have time for one more, I think? Uh, yeah, good, good. Let's one do more. one more. And there are a lot I haven't seen. I didn't see, yes. ba- I didn't see Baccarat. I didn't see uh, Never Sometimes... Never rarely, sometimes always. I haven't seen that one either. I didn't see that one. Um, few, I still haven't seen Emma yet, which is ludicrous. I really need yeah. to get around to it, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, here is a letter from Jim. Okay. Hi, Jim. Uh, Wilney and Whitneyum. Nice. Uh, we're, I see what we're, we're elements. Uh, <laughs> This question has been rattling around for a while, so I figured this is as good a time as any to ask, so you're welcome. In movies and TV, the current president is often represented in some way. In my experience, they would show a man behind a desk that has a vague resemblance to the president from behind or double over either an Arkansas accent, a Texan accent, or whatever accent JFK had. Uh, some, Boston. Uh, yeah. It was Boston. Some cast a stately-looking <laughs> gentleman or a lady. Sometimes it's just Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Under the current administration, I only recall one physical representation of the president in Longshot, played by Bob Odenkirk. That's right, Bob Odenkirk. I actually played, didn't yeah. see Longshot. He played a, a previous uh, like reality TV star who became president. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, who seemed to channel the ego, but not the physical characteristics. One big, fat, wet president is mostly depicted in the reaction of characters to a tweet or a text that reads the POTUS is on their cell phone. Uh, oh golly! Remember in Sicario, Day of the Soldado, uh-huh. where there's a line of dialogue: "The president doesn't care about like press or looking good no, or being right." No, no, no. What was what, the line of dialogue? The, the, is? the, the, the issue is uh, uh, the, the whole thing is it's all about border shit, and for mm. a minute it seems really topical, and then you realize, oh, this was made before Trump was president because is it Catherine Keener who's in that movie? Catherine Keener, yeah. Catherine Keener has a line about the president doesn't care about winning. That's right. And <laughs> the president like, doesn't oh care about God. winning. Okay, yeah. and it got a huge laugh. Yeah, memory yeah, yeah. serves. He was just like. <laughs> Okay, yeah. sure, whatever you say, Sicario 2. <laughs> what current actor do you think could play an orange beanbag chair that someone spilled ramen on? Okay. Uh, could they use prosthetic makeup to make Bruce Greenwood <laughs> <laughs> look like a pumpkin with tapioca pudding hat? Or would they... Uh, or would play opposite him in White Ho- Who would play opposite him in the White House Down remake? Discuss. Uh, thanks for all your content. Keep up the great work, Jim. Uh, I've, I've mentioned he's too old for it because he's uh, hmm. uh, over a decade older than the president. Uh-huh. But Shatner. Shatner would have been good. Shatner, Shatner could, been good. would play a wonderful President yeah, Trump with, with all of the, the, the brazen idiocy and ego that that man has. Um, the, golly, the, but it's... it's yeah. 
I'll, I'll tell so, you one person who has actually. There's, hmm. you, 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 there's an interesting thing, I, and I've thought about this too. Hmm. I remember uh, when Trump was president and like, or first became president, hmm. I was like, oh no. All the presidents in our movies are going to have to be Trump now. Yeah. Like, how is that going to affect the narratives of our films? Because presidents usually have to seem like kind of, so, so like mature. And, well, they're usually like efficient office workers who are just sort of lurking yeah. in the background. This yeah. current president uh, has, you know, he doesn't have any sort of like, operational ethos. He just has his personality. Like, imagine you're watching. If you've ever seen the movie Clear and Present Danger, which is a really good movie, but like, imagine the scene in like Clear and Present Danger. Where, like, Harrison Ford is talking down to the president and the president, like, barks back at him. Mm-hmm. But instead of being this, like, elder statesman of, like, great renown and uh, who has simply fallen from grace, it's someone who just, like, yells a bunch of things that don't make any sense. And Harrison Ford's like, how dare... Wait, what did you say? <laughs> instead of how dare you, sir, it's like, wait, um... I'm just confused, actually. What did you just say? Like, <laughs> it's it's weird and hilarious. The very, I will say this, the very first film I saw... That uh, de- depicted a, an actor who was clearly playing a version of Donald Trump hmm. uh, as the president of the United States. And they weren't Donald Trump, but they were clearly influenced by Donald Trump. Because he looks like him, he's played like him, that's the idea. Was Lachlan Monroe in Max 2 White House Hero. Was President Trump. Basically, yes. Uh, Max's dog, by the way. Yeah, if you ever saw the original I saw movie, Max, but not Max 2. Max is okay. Max yeah. is a story about a dog who was like a soldier, and he like defused bombs and stuff, and he was trained very specifically to work with one, I think, Marine, and then when the Marine died, the dog was so traumatized he wouldn't work with anyone again, and the dog goes to live with that dude's family, and they all sort of process trauma together, and mm-hmm. it devolves into a weird Steven Seagal movie in like the last act, but for the most part, it's actually pretty good. They made a straight-to-video sequel that turned it into, like, weird Airbud territory, and it was all about how the president's guard dog is actually, like, on leave because she had puppies, and we need to bring Max back in in order to protect the president. And the whole thing is, Lachlan Monroe is clearly looks like the president. I forget who played the first lady, but she clearly looks like Melania. And the protagonist is, besides Max, is the president's young son, who seems to have Baron Trump's haircut. And the whole movie is about how Max and Baron Trump and Putin's daughter have to team up in order to make sure that President not Trump and President not Putin can secure world peace. Because some people aren't happy with them. And I'm like, whoa, this movie is weird. (laughs) It's a really surreal experience watching Max 2 White House here. In many respects, it should be like just sort of general and vaguely inoffensive. And instead, you're watching it, I'm like, everything about this movie is fucking surreal. And I don't know if I can handle it anymore. That was one of the first times it felt real to me. (laughs) Um, Who could play him is a question. That's a tough question, actually, because... The, yeah, we're so in the thick of this Gordian knot of history uh, that it's it's going to take. I hope, it's, I hope it gets on time. It, it's well, it's going to take it, it's going to take Hollywood yeah. and filmmakers yeah. well over twenty years to uncover every single one of these scandals. We're still uncovering scandals about the Iraq War. That's true. Like, uh, what was the? Um, what was the one about the torture memos? Was it just called oh, the the, the, the program? Not the not, program. No, it wasn't the program. The organ. No, that a really the files title. the mission the the report. The report. What a what a what a thing was just called the report. What right? an exciting, memorable title. Um, <laughs> golly, 
okay. Uh, but yeah, that's that was made just last year, yeah. and the report was about torture memos that were going on you know, a decade previous. We're going to be seeing movies about all of these little miniature scandals yeah. that are blooming like gin blossoms yeah. all over the face of this presidency uh, for decades to come. So we're going to have plenty of actors take their hand at playing this monster. And... Uh, and uh, sorry to be so brazen about my politics, but I, that's who I am. And no, no, no. We, we, there's we, no sense in we, hiding we it. Make no, we make no, no apologies. Because we talk about art and because we talk about a lot of contemporary art, mm-hmm. uh, the way that we view the world politically and otherwise is a significant mm-hmm. part of how we interpret yeah, yeah, cinema. Yeah. And it makes no sense to not discuss it. We're totally upfront about it, and we fully admit that there are some movies that we may find uh, distasteful, for example, that other people, it might hit their politics totally differently. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people tell me that they know that if I like a movie, they're going to hate it, and vice versa. To which, which I say, great. That means you're doing your job as a critic. Yeah, it's, I'm, well, I'm, it's wonderful. I, the important thing isn't that I just tell you that it's good, and you tell you why, and sometimes mm-hmm. the why is more important than whether or not I think it's good, and mm-hmm. that, that's useful. Um, I'll tell you someone who I think could do it. Hmm. Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> I can picture him yeah. doing it because we know he can be funny and like mm. ridiculous. We also know he can be very sad and tragic, yeah. and um, we know that he can also put on a big bluster. Yeah. I think um, he'd actually be really good. I'm really, really sad that Divine is dead. <laughs> well, I think we always are, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's not a day goes by when I'm not sad that Divine is dead. Yeah. But wouldn't you have loved to have yeah. seen Div- John Waters directing Divine? As President Trump. I'll tell you who I and would... At, and at the end of the movie, he's tarred and feathered and thrown off the roof of the White House by a bunch of, like, leather lesbian bikers. You know who I can almost see doing a good job? And mm. he's he's an, he's an interesting actor right now because, like, his voice and his physicality have changed from where, like, he, he started so dramatically. Mm. Um, so he might not actually sound the part, but I think he'd be pretty good. He's a little older than Trump, right. but not so much that he couldn't play him. Nick Nolte. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could see it. Yeah, I guess I could see it. I'm yeah. not sure if Nick Nolte could play that type of a character. He usually plays really kind of stoic characters, mm. at least at, at this point in his career. That's true, but he's done comedies and stuff. I think I think he's got it in him. Mm. Um, yeah, we're gonna see so many movies gonna, about this we, yeah. goddamn era. Whether this, this matter, era whether, whenever it we're gonna need to unpack and unpack oh, and unpack. It's never gonna end. It's always gonna be a reminder. Yeah. Oh, it's so rough. Always something there to remind me. No, bad, <laughs> bad. Was it Love and Spoonful? Who did that? Who did that song? Love and Spoonful. I don't know. <laughs> Ambiguous Spoonful. I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> Just the spoons. I don't know. Whoever did, there's always something there to remind me. So. I don't know. I don't um, know music as well yeah, as I actually, know film. I, I was going to say that's that's not Hollow Notes. That's um, it's it's like a one hit wonder band. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my brain. The Naked Eyes. Naked Eyes. Yeah. It was Naked Eyes. Did yeah. all something to remind me. Thank you, Google. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. You just have Google. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, right no, I, didn't, I didn't think that yeah. you could hear me type. I'm I, I was trying to. I was trying to think. Trying to, to remember what it was. But yeah. yeah. Sometimes I'm making notes about the podcast, but in that case, I was just like looking, it up. <laughs> looking like, up who, who did okay, that. Pre- it. Right. No, I, I credited Make, Google. I never pretended that na- was me. Naked eyes, that that yeah. hit making machine. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and that, that's we've got mail. That's that's we've got mail. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
to We've Got Mail. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank, especially thank everybody who wrote in. Uh, if we didn't get to your letter, we'll try next week. Um, and, uh, you know, we, again, we, we can't catch up. We hmm. really appreciate how much everyone is writing in. It means a lot to us, and we try to read as many as we can. But, yeah, um, sure. you know, there's... there's we, we could do, like, five episodes a week of nothing but this, and we'd probably have plenty of content yeah, yeah. out. Uh, so uh, you know, we'll try, and please keep writing in. Or if you want to give us a nudge, if something's, like, important or timely, you're welcome to do so. Uh, you can write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. That is the email. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are at criticacclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a ton of exclusive stuff. We have podcasts about every single episode of Star Trek. We have podcasts about uh, stuff that is not on Disney Plus mysteriously and probably should be. Uh, we have uh, podcasts about every film ever nominated for Best Picture. We have commentary tracks. We have a poll up right now. Uh, to help decide which Star Wars movie we're going to do uh, for a commentary track. Uh, I believe last I checked, it was a close race between The Rise of Skywalker and the Holiday Special, so y'all love us. Uh, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. Really? yeah. Well, I think yeah. they didn't like it, so let's let's watch it again. Let's go nuts. Um, we'll see. We'll yeah. see where that goes. That one might be a runoff. And... Um, and uh, we also have a new podcast that will be premiering pretty soon, uh, in which Whitney and I are reviewing every single episode of the 1960s Batman, mm-hmm. and the podcast is called Holy Batman, with the W in it. So it's Holy, w- Holy Batman. W-H-O-L-L-Y is an entirely Batman. And that was mm-hmm. Whitney's idea, and that was a good one. <laughs> well, our, our patrons voted, and that's the one they liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so all that's coming up, all of that's there. Uh, if you sign up now, all of that stuff's in the... Like you get access to like dozens and dozens and dozens of of hours of episodes. Um, I think we might even have over a hundred now. I'm trying to think. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I think Trek alone probably gets us to about forty hours. Mm. It's nuts. Okay, so uh, it's a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, and of course, write in all that good stuff. Everyone, please stay safe and sane out there. It's a crazy time, and as we've seen lately, you know the pandemic is isn't going anywhere yet. So please s- stay careful. Stay responsible, wear your masks, do what you got to do. We're, we're all in this together, and we're going to get through it. Um, God, I just said we're all in this together. I became every commercial I hated. Uh, <laughs> shut up about it. I'm trying to watch reruns. Look, we, we know this is a difficult time, but mm. we want to let you know that Kellogg's is here for you. <laughs> in these uncertain times, aren't you glad there are Lunchables? <laughs> Here's a fun fact. If you ever want to make Whitney laugh, oh, just no. say the word in, no, in a complete vacuum. <laughs> Doesn't even need any context. Oh, Just say one word. <laughs> Lunchables. Lunchables. It's, he thinks it's the funniest word in the English yeah, I, language. I, just, I think it's a strange quality to assign a food. It's yeah, lunchability. Yes, I, I, I really love this sandwich, yes, but how lunchable is it? What's its lunchability index like? I'm sorry, this is more dinnerable. <laughs> Where's my brunchables, damn it? All well, right. I, I went to bar trivia once and we named our team Lunchability. Nice. Anyway, we're, we need to we need to move on. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody who wrote in. We'll see you next week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>